Hey, this is Squat, and welcome back to another episode of MDPHD Podcast. In today's episode, my friend Ben and I will go over a good paper published in Nature about immunology and cancer. I know, just because it's in Nature doesn't mean it's a real good, you know, impactful paper. But unlike many other hyped papers, this one is real deal. Especially having read this paper now, um, I'm very hopeful for the future of cancer treatment and also excited about the uh, future of immunology and vaccines. Speaking of vaccines, uh, today for this SARS-CoV-2 thing that's going on, uh, we have lots of vaccines, right? Different types and one of them is RNA vaccine. And in this paper, the authors actually use RNA vaccine technology to tackle the problem of uh, melanoma. I think, you know, this technology is a real deal. So anyways, Ben and I will go over the paper. We also talked about Ben's graduate school experience, his MD, PhD uh, training experience and more. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. It's 1am and yesterday I wanted to start the podcast because I was reading paper and I want to deliver this complicated paper in an easy way to the world. And I'm glad that I used Anchor.fm because I went to their website, made an account, made a recording and boom, boom, bam, I have my first podcast. And tonight I finished my second podcast with Anchor. So if you want to tell the world something that you're passionate about, Download the free Anchor app or go to the anchor.fm to get started. Welcome, Ben. How are you doing? Good. How about, how about you? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, and uh, I like your background. <laughs> thank, thank you. Uh, for some reason, the, the green screen is flickering a little bit right now, but yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise you'll see into the best of my ba- basement. For those of you uh, who's listening podcast, actually, I'm only going to release podcast, but uh, Ben is uh what what's the background about we're zooming right now and he has this uh artificial oh, background yeah uh the background is uh bascom hill at the university of wisconsin madison uh that's where i did my undergraduate it looks it looks pretty it looks like new orleans like it looks very montreal you know like it looks like a culture yeah so the, this part of the campus is the the old campus it's you know way back to like the 1850s a lot of the buildings here are really old okay and yeah. for those of you uh, who don't know who ben is i mean you should ben can you give us a little uh, introduction yeah so um my name is ben gibbs i'm a md phd student at the university of kansas medical center um in kansas city kansas i'm uh, currently in my fourth year of the program so done the two years of med school and now in my second year as a PhD student. Um, I'm in Dr. Andrew Godwin's lab and uh, I'm working on uh, drug development, his lab. And we met, I think, in 2014, April. Yes, yep. And, uh, and... yeah, so we both were recipients of the Thomas Bartos Award from AACR. And so we were able to um, to meet uh, at the AACR meeting. And they did a lot of a lot of really good things about uh, with putting putting a bunch of young 
um, scientists that wanted to work on science, uh, work on cancer together. Um, and luckily with the, the award, they were able to send us to uh, two consecutive national meetings. And uh, yeah, we've, we've been having a, a lasting friendship since. Yeah, I really like that because it, it, it gave, gave us access to some good conference and uh, lots of like people and lots of uh, resources. Um, and, and since then, I think I've been going to that conference every single year, trying to keep going because uh, I know that this guy who's been going to this uh, radiology conference for 30 years. And also I think the AACR record now is like what, 30 some years, 31 years. Uh, this person that's been going ACR every year for 31 years or something like that. I'm trying to beat that record. Um. <laughs> it's, it's much harder to go during your, uh, during med school phase of the MD PhD. Uh, yeah. yeah we, was, we were able to go this year, obviously, because it was virtual. Uh, but the, the two years before that, it was very difficult. To, to get. No, virtual doesn't count. There's no food. There's no uh, alcohol tickets. There's no <laughs> free lobster. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, what year are you now? What's um, where are you at? In I'm in. Training? I'm in my fourth year, so second year of of grad school. Um, getting ready to do my uh, comprehensive exam coming up here in a couple months. Okay. So you so you're uh, halfway through your PhD. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully a little bit more on that, but we'll see. COVID might okay. might have okay. uh, ruined my plans of doing a three year PhD. Yeah, by the way, what, what did you think about um, the, the preclinical years? I think I'm going through a hard time because it's hard. It's so much to study. I'm surprised. The volume the was incredibly difficult, especially coming from a, a research background where um, your goal is to really know a lot about a one subject or like a one small thing, where uh, in med school, it's basically anything we know about the striking. And so uh, just trying to get to the point where you where you have a surface understanding of a ton of different concepts is not it was really hard mentally for me to to get to the point where I was comfortable with just having that kind of surface knowledge of everything, but it having to be everything. And then also um, also it was it was a little frustrating too because like obviously as a cancer researcher the um the goal for me was to know as much about cancer and so if we're we were learning about topics that weren't directly related to cancer it was that was when i found myself having difficulty focusing yeah uh, and frustrating thing also is the naming of diseases by some random like mostly dudes like you know, A's disease, B's disease, and it's just like the naming sucks, yeah, we would, right? We would joke in our um, small group that it was uh, old white guy disease. Yeah. N naming sucks. There's no logic. And worse is they'll later change. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and a lot of them, like some of them, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a, a good good example, like Asperger's or, or uh, Wagner's disease. Oh, um, my goodness. All those like vascular diseases, vasculitis, all the numbers. Those ones are those ones are tough, but Wagner is like you're not supposed to call it Wagner's anymore because it was named after a Nazi. Oh, <laughs> wow! So yeah, yeah um, it sucks. Insane, 
same with Asperger's disease, which is, you know, completely different. It's a autism spectrum disorder, but we're not supposed to call it that anymore because, mm. because Asperger was a Nazi as well. <laughs> so there's lots of stuff like that. Lots of memorization and the, the amount of information was just ridiculous, but still though, like it, it I think it uh, broadens our understanding of things. So understanding normal tissue, like just understanding bunch of epithelial diseases throughout the body helps you understand your epithelioid cancer better, or, you know, I think it adds that nice uh, breath. And I, I, I like people who have breath rather than depth. Like I'm more that kind of a uh, person um, pretty much for everything I do in my life. I'm like, I'm not good at anything. Um, <laughs> so I, I like being, you know, broad. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I complain about it, but um, I definitely see the positive impacts of having the medical in education as a, um, as a researcher, because you can understand a lot of um, a lot of concepts that that people that don't have the medical education um, uh, don't really focus on. And then also, uh, one of the big things that I've noticed, especially in drug um, research, is that the understanding of other drugs and and, and uh, the pharmacology that you learn in medical school is extremely helpful um, in terms of like reapplying drugs or repurposing. Because you know what their primary purpose are, uh, you know what their side effects are, you know you know what the downsides are, um, and so with that in mind, you can use that knowledge to help um, narrow and, and try to make more clinically relevant uh, research for for in your the research phase. For sure, for sure. So, do you want to get into this? Uh messy messy paper yeah so so um this is a paper that i actually i presented a few months ago at our class mm -hmm. it's called um an rna vaccine drives immunity and checkpoint in inhibitor treated melanoma and it's by um okay wait a second so let's look at the title it's rna vaccine drives immunity in checkpoint inhibitor treated melanoma so from that title, I see that checkpoint inhibitor treatment improves with this vaccination. That's what they're trying to say, right? Right. So, so when we get we get further into it, yeah, that's what they ultimately do is they're trying to have a combination approach. Um, Got it. And and the other thing that I mean, the the first line there, an RNA vaccine, um, and that's what struck my interest in this paper initially. Why? Because right right now. You know the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, are we're expected in you know the next week to get the Pfizer vaccine for COVID nineteen approved and uh, for emergency authorization, and that will be the first authorized RNA vaccine used in humans in the United States. Um, as it stands right now, the UK actually um, already approved it, and so. Uh, we can say that there's already been a, uh, the first approved RNA vaccine um, for the treatment of infectious disease. But so, yeah, uh, so uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm uh, just going to add that uh, it's it's a novel technology that has a lot of implications for uh, for medicine just in general. There's other other diseases that you can use it, not just infectious disease that we classically use vaccines. for. Yeah, and what's so like good about RNA vaccine? Like, what's so you know what was what about it? So one, um, 
the a huge advantage of it is that it's uh you can rapidly produce it and and so all you need to know is the genetic information of the disease or in this case in this paper of uh some of the uh, cancer associated antigens and you can make a um a vaccine just off of that information mm-hmm. so in a traditional vaccine what you're doing is you're you're actually inoculating someone with either a part of the of a virus or um a attenuated form meaning less in like it's not as severe form of the disease and they're getting immunity against that in this case what we're doing is we're actually giving just the information to the cells and the the cell of the host is actually what's providing uh, the production of the protein that ultimately gets recognized by the immune system oh i see so basically uh, with the the vaccines that we know of you send it, you're sending that protein particle whatever you know pathogen stuff then your immune cells will try to react against that stuff the foreign stuff but for the rna vaccine you're sending the rna and you count on your uh host cells to translate the rna into that stuff so stuff's not there yet but right. your host cells will make that stuff and when that stuff is made you hope that the uh, the host's immune cells will now react to that stuff. Yeah, and, and so that also skips a whole step of the manufacturing process, where you know you're you're nor- normally what you're doing is you're trying to get the bat, you know, in a lab bacteria to make yeah. that, or um, or a uh, uh, what is it called? Bacteria. It- yeah, it's basically you're trying to get a microorganism to produce it, and then you purify yeah. it and then inject it, where you skip that step completely. Wait a second. That's so dope. Like, where was it? Like, where, where were we? Like, without this, why didn't we? Why didn't we do this ahead of time? Yeah. So, uh, it actually is uh, kind of a long, uh, a long road to the to the back, uh, to get it to actually work in, in humans. Mm-hmm. Um, they they had, uh, I believe it was in the '90s, had it to work in in mice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems itself is that the uh, RNA molecule itself is immunogenic. Gotcha. So, have you? Um, do you remember PAMPs from immunology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The what pathogen associated molecular pattern? Yeah. So, yeah. some of them recognize RNA. For sure, for sure. Because, because you know viruses, they are like freaking nucleotide animals, right? They're RNAs and DNAs, and you're good at like just destroying the crap out of them when they're floating around. So basically what you're saying is like, you're right. Maybe when people first started you know, understanding the concept of vaccine, I think that was like hundred years ago. Maybe there's like 2000 year old history of vaccines where like monks were injecting people with snake venoms. And then people who did this treatment were like more, you know, uh, immune to snake bites and stuff anyways, but it makes sense. They, they, they probably will try to inject people with foreign stuff and then, you know, make you stronger against it. And then later, I guess, so the people figured out that, hey, you don't have to make this stuff outside. You can let that person make that stuff. I, I mean, it makes sense, it makes sense. Yeah, well, the, the concept of vaccines like that, you know, it, it dates far, like you said, far further than a hundred years. Yeah. You know, in the Revolutionary War, George Washington actually inoculated some of his soldiers with smallpox so they wouldn't 
Okay. <laughs> Are you sure you can use the word George Washington now? Is it, is it a yes. safe thing? To say? I'm okay. pretty sure George Washington is <laughs> still okay. <laughs> okay. 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 So this one you use RNA vaccine and it, it, uh, what did they do? So what, what's, so what's this like 30 second elevator pitch of this paper? So, so what they did, um, I guess in, in the closest, uh, quickest summary you can do Wait is that, sorry to like, interrupt you but like where was this published and who's making this paper this was published in uh nature all right 2020 september 3rd nature okay and, and a bunch of name with like weird letters so probably like germans here yeah it looks it looks those look like german names yeah uh and if you look it's actually um if you look at it number one uh is biotech and hmm. so they they actually made the um that's a, is a German company and they made the Pfizer vaccine and licensed it to Pfizer. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we got to start trading soon. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's the same company that is going to get their, uh, like I said, have the FDA approved or not the FDA approved, but the UK approved yeah. um, COVID-19 vaccine and probably will be a FDA approved vaccine. Uh, next week okay okay sorry let's go back to the main thing so what's this paper about what did they do and so what, what they did is they used their their rna technology um to uh basically teach the immune system about uh what are called cancer associated antigens or tumor associated an antigens associated with melanoma and so basically what they're doing is they're training the immune system in these patients to recognize these antigens that are on tumor cells. Mm. Um, tumor associated antigens. I don't know if you're, um, if you remember from, from tumor immunology, but uh, they're kind of the hardest ones to, to get the immune system to react against uh, because they it, the tumor associated antigens are also they're normal they're wild type protein basically they're they're a part of you right basically yeah. making this kind of a immune reaction makes sense for foreign stuff like uh, type you know viruses coronavirus and all these things but here what they're trying to do is go after proteins made by your own genome so it's a part of you but that's more found in tumors, am I right? You're right, right. I'm, I'm trying to get back to one of my notes here. I'm trying to find that. But uh, yeah, so they're, like I said, they're kind of the, the, the hardest yeah. kind of cl classification to target because your immune system in development deliberately tries to not react against yourself. Yeah. And in most cases, if it reacts against itself, and leads to diseases like got it ra or yeah yeah so so i guess i guess there are two things that i think are going to be hard here the first one is um like figuring out what they are like what are the things that is okay to create artificial immune reaction against like you don't want to create artificial immune reaction against stuff that's made by all of your cells because then you get autoimmunity and you just like get sick but here, I think they have to one, find that protein or whatever 
final molecule that tumors make, but normal cells don't make. So you have to have that selectivity. And the second thing is, even if you do find that perfect thing only in tumor, but not in the normal tissue, maybe you don't have any immune cells that react to it because they're all being like negatively selected, right? Basically in the growth of immune cells, um, your cells will actually, will be like checked to see if you will react to um, your own like stuff. And what happens is in your thymus or in all of these places, you have special like transcription factor, you know, uh, powered cells that can make every single molecule of your body. So in that process, some of these, you know, cancer specific things being also made and tested against these growing immune cells. And if any of these immune cells react to that thing, then that immune cells will be trashed. So even if you have that perfect molecule that's only in cancer, but not in your normal cells, because these molecules are still part of you, you may not be able to mount immune reaction. Yeah, so, so I was, this is what I was looking for. I wanted to show uh -huh. you here is that, so you have these, the tumor specific antigens, uh -huh. which are only expressed in, in tumor cells. So that would be your, your mutated proteins. Sure. So you could find something that isn't expressed in your normal cells, but is expressed in cancer. You could target those. It could also be your viral genes and, and cancers that are virally transformed, like mm -hmm. uh, cervic, cervical cancer with HPV. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the normal antigens, which are, these are the ones that are completely normal in human adult. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to touch those because you're going to cause some sort of autoimmune. Yeah, but in the in the center here, you have the tumor-associated antigens, where they're kind of they're not really they're not specific to the tumor, but they're upregulated in some way. And these are there's cancer germline antigens, which are basically antigens that are only expressed in eggs or or um, sperm cells. I see. And so they're really early in development, so you can target those. Ah, I see. I see. It's, it's like a, another way of thinking about the embryonic lethality where here these are stuff that's uh made by your uh when you are like 16 cells or 32 cells and then they're not used anymore when you are like now human fully fledged but some cancers can still express those early germline stuff to keep growing like your embryo so basically you're saying that you can go after those yeah and then another one that we we can go after are overexpressed and we've done that before not in in uh, melanoma cell training aspects, but more so in like what we do with uh, monoclonal antibody therapy, for sure, like like Herceptin. Got it. And obviously, with monoclonal antibody, like a monoclonal antibody is an immune molecule, and so you also are eliciting immune response in addition to blocking the the signal. Got it. Yep. That's that's like. Um, wild shot. That's like a moonshot. Like whoever try, I mean, you have to be like very optimistic, right? Like, oh, you know what? There might be stuff that's expressed only in cancer, but not in any other tissue, but it's still part of you. Let's just go after those. Um, it, it, it's tricky, I think, because you have to worry about autoimmunity, right? Because even if they're, if, even if these things are not expressed in normal cells, like what's the consequence of like going against your own stuff? Yeah, it, it can be severe. So I've actually I got another another shot here. I know this is a podcast, so no, no, no. The listeners wow. can't see it, but Quat 
here could describe it. And uh, so this is basically what happens um, if you have, when you have some sort of um, immunotherapy go wrong. Oh this patient goodness. has very, uh, very bad skin lesions all over. Um, and then this, the second thing here, this is, um, this is from a paper with CAR T cells. So that's the chimeric antigen receptor T cell therapy where you engineer yeah. the patient's T cells to recognize something. Um, this one also, they had a, uh, um, a CAR T cell that recognized the patient's thyroid. Got it. And, and so they, they developed um, subclinical hypothyroidism. And then by, by week 10, they had um, huge TSH. Week eight, actually, they have uh, clinically relevant hypothyroid yeah basically their thyroids are not making the thyroid hormones at that point anymore right wow right so so if you if you guess wrong which we you know obviously have done in the past it can have pretty bad consequences for the patient okay okay so what did this paper do with with that um framework yeah so melanoma um is almost always the first, the first uh, cancer you start with in any kind of novel immunotherapy. <laughs> Why is that? It's for some reason, it, well, first of all, it's a, it's a very highly mutated cancer. And so the likelihood of it to have some sort of neoantigen recognized by the immune system is much higher. Um, it's very immuno, immunally, what we call immuno hot. Hot, yeah. And so, um, just the chances of the immune system recognizing much higher than other types of cancer. Okay. Um, so that that's part of the reason why they they uh, are working with melanoma. Um, the other thing with melanoma is since it's been studied so well in uh, the history of immunotherapies, is that we know some of the antigens, the the tumor associated antigens, that are likely to be recognized. By the, by the immune system. Um, and, and from embryology, uh, you remember that uh, melanocytes, the cells that melanoma is derived from, they're from neural crest lineage. Mm. So they have a lot of the neural crest um, markers when they, when they de-differentiate. Yeah. And so, and then the, also one of the other things too is there's some other, other uh, cancer types like, uh, um, let's say like mismatch repair deficient, uh, non-colorectal cancer. Yeah, they tend to be um, very immuno hot as well. Yeah, but it's rare. It's much more rare of a disease. Yeah, MSIs basically, right? MSIs, MSIs. Yeah, but M MSIs when you think of it, you classically think of colorectal, right? Yeah. And so if you're looking at, so obviously colorectal um, MSIs are, are treated with, with uh, immunotherapies now, For sure. but um, the non-colorectal MSIs are more rare and even they're more immuno hot than, than the colorectal versions, mm -hmm. but it's just, it's a hard patient population yeah. to study. Yeah. And so one of, yeah, definitely one of the advantages of, of studying melanoma is that there's samples to be found. 
Yeah, and also like uh, I have this professor that I met at Stanford, very, very nice guy. And uh, I really like him as a person. I don't know much about his science, but um, I mean, I just get a really good vibe from him. And he's just a nice person to talk to, you know? His name is Dr. Oro. He studies skin cancers. And uh, he, one of the reasons he studies skin cancer is because you can actually look at it and you can actually iterate faster. Mm-hmm. And it might sound like a trivial thing, but iterating fast is what differentiates a successful startup from a garbage startup. Like it's how fast you can iterate and how fast you can fix and you know learn, do, learn, do, change. So skin cancer is in that way, maybe a good model to study all these stuff. Right. Um, and then, like you said, um, the, the other thing with skin cancer is that since it's, you can see it, most of the treatments that we have are surgical based yeah. early. And so we don't have a, a great understanding of how these cancers respond to systemic therapies. And once they metastasize, you need some sort of systemic therapy. Yeah, too late at that point in a lot of cases. But one of the good things with these immunotherapies is that it, uh, uh, like you said, a lot of cases, yeah, it's too late, but some of these cases it's cured. Yep, yep. You know, um, ex-president Jimmy Carter had metastatic Mm. melanoma and got an immunotherapy and survived it. Yeah, I heard he had like 18,000 doctors look at him every single day. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> so this is their figure one, right? We're looking at. Yeah. So, so in figure one, um, so this is a, actually a clinical trial. So they're, mm-hmm. they're showing how they, um, they design this. And so this RNA vaccine targets um, four different uh, tumor associated antigens in, in melanoma. Got it. And, and so what they what they did is they gave these patients a series of vaccines, um, and uh, so they at the beginning they started off with a series of eight, and some of the later later studies and, and once they uh, realized that it was it was a pretty safe treatment, some of these got patients got really continued vaccinations on a on a regular schedule, and um, so what. Yeah, what they're showing here. So figure 1A just shows us the four mRNA constructs from five prime N to three prime poly A tail. And there are four uh, mRNA constructs, each for a single uh, gene. And these are the tumor uh, associated genes, but still the genes coded by your host genome. And one of them is what? NYESO1. Another one is tyrosinase, and then you have a mage A3, and you have another one, TPTE. So these are four targets, basically. Yeah, so, and, and the reason why you want to do a cocktail approach is that these four targets are usually, uh-huh. one, at least one of them is expressed. Got it. In a melanoma, but it's kind of rare to have all. Mm-hmm. And so you to try to get the broadest net, of yeah. patients that you can get to respond, you can, you know, you develop a, a cocktail. For and sure. so if, as long as one of these is actually expressed in their tumor, then their immune system may actually have a chance of recognizing. Okay. I like it so far. Sounds like this is going to work. <laughs> well, oh, is it because it's published in nature? 
No, 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 no. Because um, um, this makes sense, right? Uh, I can see like negative side of it, which is like mage A3. I think I've come across that in some analysis. It's some like uh, sperm stuff, I think. Um, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it came out with it once. It's like sperm stuff. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, just trying to see. Other, other companies have tried to target that as well. I think um, it's like sperm stuff. The normal function of a blood healthy cell is unknown. Uh -huh. Yeah, so uh, maybe like Mage A2 or something like it's just MAGE something. Um, it had to do with the sperm. Yeah, do you remember what, what Mage stands for? Because that no, might melanoma associated, I think. Yeah. Okay, so then... But it's a bad name. Yeah, melanoma-associated antigen 3. And so whenever you have a, a, an antigen named after a, a cancer, you usually have no idea what it actually does. Normally. Yeah. And it could be, it also, there are genes that are um, kind of relics of our evolutionary past that sure. don't actually have um, function in, in humans, but in cancer could possibly start developing proteins. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So basically these skin cancers are going to be different from the neighboring skin because they have expression of some stuff that's not usually expressed in the skin higher. And hopefully this stuff is not expressed anywhere in your body. That's the yes. So yeah, one of, one of the things in cancer is that cells start resembling their predecessors. The process is that they de-differentiate, -de which I've, um, I've said that word before, but I haven't really defined it. They, they go closer to what their um, embryo embryologic origin is. Yeah. They generalize. They become smarter. <laughs> they can do more things, yeah. yeah. You know, I just came up with a good analysis. That we, oh, someone's calling you. <laughs> oh, no, that, somebody said Ben, I think. Uh, I don't hear it. I have noise canceling headphones on, so you might be able to hear it better. No problem. Maybe it's Ayala. Um, who knows? But, you know, one quick analysis they can do is you just, this is a bioinformatics analysis. Whoever does this, you can add me to some kind of a, actually, I don't care. <laughs> so you just look at all these cancers, right? And you see overexpressed stuff. And then you, from there, look at overexpressed genes and then you check if it's expressed in other tissues or not. That's like a quick analysis that you can do to uh, kind of narrow down list of these genes per different cancer types. You can quickly check like for let's say breast cancer, you may be able to go after these specific uh, stuff that is still yours, but not expressed anywhere else. Like um, that's someone else. That's kind of analysis you can quickly do. Yeah. Yeah. There are a bunch yeah. of like tissue specific like expression uh, databases out there, like, uh, you know, GTEx, et cetera, you know, shouldn't be hard. Yeah. And th this was actually, um, in, in this, this first figure, figure C, where they did a, a metabolic activity, uh, mm -hmm. scan using, using a PET scan. Yeah. And so they're, they're showing that after the six vaccine, that there's a, a increased uptake of, um, of glucose in the spleen. Okay. Showing, showing that there's active cells like, got it got it and spleen but, is going to be a place where immune cells kind of build their army and you know get strong right right it's kind of like the 
biggest lymph node. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have those like B cell, like out, outer B cell, or like uh, the, the I forgot how how it looks like, but it has B cell specific like um, compartments and then T cell specific ones, and you have in between them have interactions between T cell region and B cell region. Basically, it's a factory for immune cells. Yeah, and and then. The other thing that you're able to do with with the immune response is that your immune cells secrete cytokines, which are molecules of signaling. Mm-hmm. And so indeed, that's what they did. Is they, they made sure that each time that they give a vaccine, they're actually increasing the amount of immune signaling going on. Okay, okay. By the way, look at the, go back to the figure. See, look, you see how the uh, vertebra, the bone marrow is also like lighting up a little bit. Makes sense. Uh, yeah yeah that's just, pretty yeah that's that's pretty small but yeah. yeah 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 you can you can definitely see it there for sure um oh. mm-hmm. this one might be not specific because it is in the pre yeah. but another cool thing is like you see how there's spleen and the spleen uh look at this uh region right above the spleen it has that like a dark cloud left up right there on the left right there and on the left yeah right there you see that what's that it, it's not in the pre but it's in the post it looks like a ch- good chunk of stuff is gone <laughs> yeah so my my guess there is that uh the contrast might have okay. be a little bit different um maybe just the um the the height the level at which they're taking they're showing this ct image right? or yeah that could be too yeah it's the, it looks like it's some sort of abdominal, like a uh, GI structure. For sure, and, for sure. And so, and so it could also, if with GI structure, it could be related to when's the last time they ate. Mm, 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 mm. Could be the air. That, yeah, you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So basically, the after injecting these this cocktail with the four stuff, you get this reaction in spleen and you get spikes of immune reactions as well. So it looks like it's doing something. Yeah, so just because you're having a, a immune response against, in this case, a you know, foreign molecule of RNA, doesn't mean it's tumor specific. So right. it's a good indication that it might, it might be working specifically or that it might, be, it might be working, but we don't know yet because we, right, just know right. that, we just know that there's some immune response going on. For sure. And so this is this is one of the paper gets pretty complicated here because they keep on doing uh, going back in between uh, patient derived um, samples and actual patient data because mm. it is a clinical trial paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this is where they start they start showing that the um, the T cell immunity is actually um, specific to the tumor and not just like a recognition of RNA. Mm-hmm. What's so, that? Well, how did I do that? How did I show that? Yeah. So um, basically what they, what they do, for example, um, if we look at uh, B here or uh, not B, I. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is figure a, this 2I. Is, figure 2I. Yeah. yeah. So this is uh, where they use two different cell line models of melanoma. One of them that has uh, 
one of them that has the NYESO one positive and mm-hmm. then SKML28, which is negative for that. And so they can take apart the vaccine to its component part, train T cells um, against that receptor um, ex vivo. So they're taking, taking it out of a patient mm-hmm. and trying to get those ones that recognize that receptor and see if there's a differential specific license, meaning does those T cells kill those tumors? Got it. And so if it's specific, you would kill the cells that express NYESO, but not the ones that do not. Got it. So basically one specific patient got this, um, uh, got this uh, uh, vaccine and SKML37 versus SKML28. I, I'm assuming that is, those are two different patients. Yeah, those, those are immortalized cell lines. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Cell line. Okay, so you have two cell lines, and the one has that thing, one doesn't have that thing, and then you're basically exposing, uh, exposing these cell lines against uh, uh, extract from a patient whose immune cell has been trained with this vaccine, and then you see that there is a specific lysing of the um, of these cancer cells. There, can you can you see that a little better? Yeah, yeah I see. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see that. I see that. So basically, yeah, so, the, the extraction from the patient is killing more of the SKML37, which has the NYESO1, which is one of the four uh, cocktail ingredients. Right. Right. So, so that, that's, that's exactly what you would want. You, you wouldn't want it to be a nonspecific. It just recognizes any, the T cells recognize any cell mm-hmm. and kill it. You want it to be specific against the ones that have the antigen. Got it. And and that's exactly what we see. So that's um, that's very very promising. Um, and what are date. those four different groups in Figure Two I? Like ninety nine, one hundred, one hundred one, one hundred two. Um, let's see. That, so that's it. Says TCR CD eight, New York number. Is that big? Is that um, maybe they had a multiple version of the mRNA that goes against New York ESO and they just picked the one that has the highest specificity? Um, so, is it, so in, in the figure legend, this is a specific license, uh, license of melanoma cell lines by a healthy donor, CD8TC uh, T cells transfected with. So they, they transfect it with HLA-B3503. Mm-hmm. And so my my best guess is that those are different donors. Got it, got it. Showing that it's not just, I mean, obviously donor 101 has the best response. Mm-hmm. Basically none of his T-cells recognize without it. And a lot of them recognized it uh, with the antigen. But gotcha. all of them have some sort of significant difference in their recognition. For sure. And that, that, that's uh, what, like you said, that it might be challenging earlier is that not only do you have to have something that your, your immune system can recognize, but you also have to have the immune cells that do recognize it. Yeah. And that could, that could be rather unlikely because of the negative selection process. Yeah. And also these four, you know, you see that not, not 99, maybe that's three times difference, but one-on-one, 
that's like hundreds of difference or specificity difference. And maybe it could also be that for some people, the immune reaction happens faster. So when you extract that like juice, right, the trained good juice, uh, maybe one-on-one is like mature. It's ready to specifically go after the cell lines with that target expressed. 99 maybe still making that uh, uh, the immune army. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, th this this experiment is definitely a little bit more complicated than just that because mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're taking the T cell receptor mm -hmm. from patient A209 and expressing it in donor T cells. Mm -hmm. And so they should have the exact same T cell receptor going on. So it's not just a a T cell, a T cell receptor issue. It's something else innate with those immune cells makes sense so basically that that's extra work you have to do as experimentalist but if you tell me that now i'm going to be like okay so basically the vessels are same but just the receptors are different so that's yeah, even and, extra control yeah and, and so if you look at at b this is how they they knew that that patient recognized that um nyeso1 so well is that without any stimulation they don't really have any colonies growing in their, their right. T cells, but when they stimulate it, now you have a huge, um, this is this experiment called an ELISA spot. Mm -hmm. And so that's looking at the, um, the amount of uh, interferon gamma gotcha. created by the T cell. And so those, when you stimulate them, they are securing a ton of interferon gamma. Makes sense. So for this patient, it looks like this patient, it's okay to probably think that the ES, if this patient had a high New York ESO, tyrosinase, mage A3, and then the next patient, look at that, it's almost all mage A3. Um, so maybe that patient, the second patient didn't have other uh, tumor specific um, proteins or stuff, but had a, a mage A3. Right. Um, one thing that's important to note here too is that these are the in B they're looking at CD8 positive mm -hmm. T cells, which are cytotoxic. And D they're looking at helper T cells. Got it. I see. I see. I missed that. And so, um, response because by helper T cells is going to be very beneficial for the patient because it's not going to be limited to just a T cell response at that point. It's going to be a more integrated immune response against right. the tumor. Right. So for those of you who need a little refresher, like CD8 goes after cells and CD4, CD8 positive T cells, they just like to kill other cells of yours and CD4 positive T cells, uh, they don't necessarily kill cells, but they help other CD8 positive T cells mature, help B cells to mature. It's CD4 positive T cells are like a, like assist. They, they assist so many things to happen. Right, and so the CD4 positive uh, T cells are actually what HIV infects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have such a profound immunodeficiency with HIV gotcha. is because that's the part that kind of links all the immune system together. Mm -hmm. And without those cells there, and none of your your cells can really communicate with each other. Now you not only don't have like the T cell response, but you also don't have B cell response, which is your uh, your uh, antibody response. Right, right, right. 
Okay, so basically this figure is showing that there is some immune cells are, were doing something. That was figure one that showed that, hey, immune cells are doing something. And then here it's showing that uh, you have CDA positive, CD4 positive cell activation that are specific to uh, cancer cells with uh, harboring one of those four uh, cocktail ingredients. The, the vaccine, right. basically the vaccination, the things that vaccine is for, if you have those things expressed and then you will be in trouble when the trained cells come after you. Yeah, and, and then F is a, is a really important hypo hypothesis generating thing. Mm -hmm. Basically what they're showing here is that um, the uh, amount of, of these PDL one positive cells mm -hmm. um, wow. is going up. And so that, that's where you're like, okay, uh, checkpoint inhibitors might be necessary because they might be, you know, utilizing that now to evade immune response. And why why are they going up? Why do you see that red population, which is the increase in the PD one? So so this is so there's um, the Baltimore APC here, mm -hmm. and the so what they're showing the two plots here, the one on pre, which is a week before treatment, and then day. Um, what is that, 76? So that'd be 11 weeks of treatment. Um, the multimer, the multimer is going up. So they're, there's, they're showing that there's a proliferation of that population oh, got of, it. of T cells. Um, and then we don't know what the, the prior of the PD-1 population is mm -hmm. here, but we do know that these uh, this increased population that we're seeing with the multimer that has mm -hmm. the high multimer, which is what you would um, you would call the immune response cells. Mm -hmm. They have are pretty much universally PD one high. Got it. So basically, what you're saying is, with this vaccine, uh, the vaccine seems to be killing some melanoma cells, so it's doing the job. But as we know, cancer cells have multiple populations, and when you know you give it like days and days and days and you see how the killing was you know happening and you see that now you have this new population that just showed up it didn't exist before but with this vaccine treatment you see the emergence of population that can potentially be treated with the pd1 their anti-pd1 therapy so the this is just important to note that we're looking at immune cells here not tumor Got cells. i see i see yeah, so you would expect that population to expand with the vaccine. Um, uh, yeah. So I see. So then, no, I was wrong. Then. It's not the tumor cell population that showed up here, but it's more of an immune cell population that showed up. Right, right. So it's both, um, it's important to note that, yeah, they have a, a targetable um, uh, immune checkpoint and that they are T cells. Um, basically is what this show. They're CD8 high, they're CD8 high, and they have that checkpoint. And so with that, with the amount of, with the PD-1 expression, it, it gives you the potential of using in combination with checkpoint. I see. So, so I guess we cannot say much about what's happening in the cancer cell, but you can probably hypothesize that maybe there's a new, you know, clonal expansion of a new population happening. That's just, you know, you, you, you don't know yet, but here, what, what, you, what you're seeing is that there, there was an activation of immune cells 
and it looks like the immune cells that can be silenced or strengthened, stopped, breaked by PD-1 expression is increasing. So you hypothesize that if that's the case, then you just uh, don't give them their break, you know, let them do their job, then, then this population is going to shine. So that's kind of hypothesis, right? Yeah, right. So, so, and then that's what they're showing in G here is, mm -hmm. you know, you keep on, keep on giving them that vaccine mm -hmm. and that population of T cells will continue to rot. Wow. And so, you know, every, every time in, in G here, there's a dashed line. That's where they're getting a um, injection. An injection. So that patient got a ton of injection. Yeah. You know, it, it, they're getting it. Uh, it's hard to tell on the on the on the time course here, but every couple of months, every month maybe. Probably it looks like it would be monthly, yeah. and they're going out. That looks like eighteen months. Yeah. Or so, sixteen months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, a very expensive therapy if you have to get that many injections. E yes, but it should be cheap if it's just RNA molecule. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully, one of, one of the cool things with, you know, the, the fact that BioNTech already has the COVID-19 vaccine is they're yeah. probably going to recover a lot of the research and development costs from that. For sure. And so um, then, you know, the applications for using it in cancer yeah, ready to go. Should be ready to go and should be, you know, they're not as concerned about recovering um, research and development costs. Got it, got it, got it. And then the next, yep. Yeah, so so in this in the the next um, figure, they're looking at a specific patient that received um, it's patient 5302 in the paper. Um, and they received the fixed vax uh, monotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I believe what they're referring to, so that's a cocktail of the vaccine, but no uh, no um, PD-1 in it. Was in yeah. It. By the way, for those of you who want to get a refresh for PD and PD-1 and all that, basically like, your, your own cells can tell your immune cells like stop working so hard and just go home. And that communication is done by your cells and your immune cells interacting using PD-1 ligand and PD-1 receptor, right? Yeah, and so, I, so the, the, way, the way that I think of it is that when a, um, when a normal cell is expressing PD-L1, um, it's basically saying, hey, this is me. Like, don't, don't kill me. This is not mm -hmm. the cell you you want to kill and uh, tumor cells exploit that. So, you know, if you, if you did something that causes tissue damage, let's say you twisted your ankle, you don't want your T cells infiltrating that and start attacking the damaged tissue, right? So the, yeah. the, so the tissue in your twisted ankle is going to start expressing checkpoint inhibitor or checkpoint, mm -hmm. uh, the, the checkpoint, but basically the, the co- inhibitory checkpoints and one of them is PD-1. And so they're basically identifying them as self. Mm -hmm. Where the 
the other stuff that's like self-free damage in that situation, you do want the immune cells to go and clean that up. You know? Yeah. I, now I wonder, like in the previous figure, right? When we see that, when we see that uh, after injecting this RNA vaccine, we see an increase in the immune cell population that has this PD uh, receptors. Maybe then is it okay to think that having high number of immune cells with PD receptor is just a marker of immune activation in general, or or CD8 immune activation? Sorry, T cell immune activation in general. Right. So that that's what I um that's what I was leaning towards the in, uh, interpretation as because your yeah. T cells should have PD1. Sure. Right. Right. Because they need to recognize it if there is PDL1 or PDL2 around. Now you can, um, there is an approach for, you know, your, your car T cells or your engineered T cells to actually delete um, mm -hmm. PD-1, but that, that hasn't been used in clinic yet because it has uh, potential for <laughs> going drastically wrong. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, yeah. so inject this RNA, you see immune reaction, you see hot spleen, you see hot you know, vertebra and all that stuff. And it looks like this activation is something to do with the cancer. How do we know? Well, we exposed activated receptors against cancers with that target express or not. And it looks like this, the, 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 the juice, the train, the juice is really good at going after cancers with that target expression. So it looks like vaccine is doing the job. Yeah, and, and and so obviously that that was you know most of that figure was in a single patient, so it's hard to make broad claims about the vaccine. But at that point, the proof of concept definitely is. Um, but that's where these these further um, further experiments where they they start looking at other patients, um, showing that they're also getting response. Uh, lends it to be to be more of a when it, when it starts being more of a trend than just a here's a antidote of it working then you can more confidently claim that it's a a viable treatment for multiple patients got it and so that that's exactly you know this is is very similar um figure here but this is focusing on a different patient mm-hmm and so they, they did a lot of the same experiments, right? Yeah. In, in this one, they showed that um, this one, uh, they, um, in, in A, they're showing that there's, uh, they're doing the, the HLA multiple staining again, and they used a um, negative control mm -hmm. showing that, you know, it doesn't, recognize this uh the cmv virus mm -hmm. basically they're injecting this patient and then later uh challenging the uh the, the output the, the resulting immune cells to see if you if these cells will react to specific uh target or not and for the negative control they use cmv uh and then basically i'm assuming that's like a you know receptor that should activate T cells that will react to CMV, but of course these cells are not going to react to CMV because this vaccine is not for the cytomegalovirus. But then in the positive control, they, they look at New York ESO1 expressing 
uh, a stimulant, and boom, you have a high response. So basically, vaccine the, did increase. The one one thing that's important for the negative control to be CMV though is because mm -hmm. you see there is recognition of of CMV, right? Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't increase over time. No. Uh, that that tells me that the patient likely had CMV at one point. Gotcha. And CMV is you know extremely common. It's common, yeah. Yeah. And oh, so, I see. Yeah. That's really nice. This is really pretty. Like if this experiment can be done really quickly at home with a drop of blood, then you can pretty, <laughs> and then you just click like, oh, let me see if I was exposed to like COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, beep, beep. And you get this like cell with HLA that's yours. And it's actually, never mind. This is going to be impossible for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's actually an interesting uh, thing that you put uh, up there is that you know in SARS-CoV-2 we do think T cell immunity is, plays a big role. Yeah, but it's so hard to study. Yeah, because then for this like so if everybody has this device that can check your immune reaction against X or not, then that thing has to also have your HLA like. Right yeah, there. so so the, <laughs> these are they're cloning constructs that express a fragment of the you know the the fragment that is express or uh, is um, is shown on the HLA molecule, right? And then the specific HLA molecule for that that it, um, that is actually um, displaying yeah. that antigen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just quick refresher for those of you: basically, for immune cells to like turn on three things must like touch each other in the perfect way you have the foreign particle antigen and you have the receptor of immune cells the and then third thing is the thing that presents the foreign particle so you have to have the these three things matching perfectly for that clone of immune cells to be like let's do this right right and, and it's important to note that the the, the molecule the hla molecule that um, displays the antigen they don't display all antigens equally right and that's why we see you know there there's genetic um predispositions to autoimmune disease right, right? so people that have specific hlas are more likely to have let's say display citrullinated peptide they're more likely to have rheumatoid arthritis mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um where in this case, like obviously, what the, they're saying that this HLA CW0304 is the uh, HLA molecule that's best displaying this NYESO1. Yeah. And it's specifically displaying the amino acid 96 to 1. Yeah, that's like a couple months of a graduate student or a postdoc right there. <laughs> yeah, that that's not exactly a trivial experiment. No. You can do T cell receptor sequencing. You know, that's but it's quite expensive. Yeah. Ouch. Um, but if you're, if you're working on this vaccine, the cost is not that big compared no. to what, what the potential of getting into the market is. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they, they continue to show that, you know, they're, they're interferon gamma secreting and interferon gamma TNF secreting, showing that they're active not just passive T cells being expanded. Yeah. Um, they also show that there is some sort of specific um, tumor response. So uh, in this patient, there's the um, 
four different tumors that they were uh, that they denote with NT, which are ones that are, are non-target lesions. So they weren't actually studying those as a endpoint, mm-hmm. but they had the data for it, so they still looked at it. And then, and then these two were the endpoint, the subdermal tumors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those ones had very strong responses. The mm-hmm. subdermal non-target two came uh, back. Yeah, yeah. And it could be that um, I'm not exactly sure why it was non-target, but I, my my best guess is that it was um, they didn't they didn't actually look at what his expression profile is. And I so see. It could actually be a, a clone that doesn't express that antigen. Gotcha, gotcha. It's not can't target. It's just non-target. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So another patient, and you see that after vaccine, you get a spike of immune cells that react well to what the vaccine wants you to react to. And uh, then you look at the tumor sizes. It looks like the tumors are getting smaller. Some tumors are getting small and it stops getting small. But uh, but yeah, some of them also had a complete response. Like, yeah, yeah, these yeah. are three of them you can't even detect. Right. That's No, that's four, right? Well, you have the, you have the um, this one right here, which is probably the primary. Yeah, that was probably resected because it was there all the way. It's gone. Wow, this is promising, yo. It's yeah, done. And, and and so we lose our also, job. Yeah, I don't think we had to worry about that for a while. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, they they showed they did the same experiment where they they showed that it recognizes the SKML 37s and not the SKML 28. Um, yep. And so at this point, we're, you know, as as the reader of this, I'm confident that this vaccine is working exactly the way they want it. And also, I found, I agree with you. And look at the D. Um, you see how SKML 28, which is a cell line that does not express the thing that vaccine gives you. You see how the not responding decreases day one you have like 10 specific lysis and then day 22 you have like five and day 64 you have zero specific lysis of the thing that you shouldn't react so it's like you're you're also getting good at not reacting to things that you shouldn't react to or is that a bad way to look at it yeah i don't i don't know if that's significant or not but it, mm. it definitely is an interesting trend um it you know you don't you don't see that in e but that's the experiment where they they cloned it into the donor mm-hmm. T cells. Um, yeah, so it, I mean it's very possible, but I think the more the more significant thing is that over time you're seeing pretty much no response initially to the yeah um, to SKML thirty seven yeah and e- each day e- over the time course you're getting stronger and stronger for sure. By the way, and you can. You yeah, can definitely ahead. see in where they look at the amount of the expanded CD8 T cells here. Yeah. That there's a ton more in day 64 than there. Yeah. Wow. I'm actually um, stuck at that decrease the response of things they shouldn't react to. I, I think that if that's the case, because it's day 64, I would imagine an error bar at least. If that is the case, then this goes with the narrative that being exposed to a lot of pathogen helps 
uh, autoimmunity conditions and it helps you have less allergy. Like there's anecdotal things and some evidences too. If that's the case, then if you, if your immune cells are challenged with things, uh, uh, problems, then things that are almost problems or near problems, immune cells can like di differentiate those better. Uh, just hypothesis, maybe it's sci-fi, but. Right, I, I think, you know, part of the trend is probably that you're expanding the specific T cell. Um, yeah, real estate and, basically. And, and by, by expanding the specific T cells, you also have to decrease the non-specific T cells. Yep, yep. Which is you know, a good thing, which is this, you know, uh, another way to reach that being just be, being more specific by uh, being active. Right. So, so there's no point of your body supporting a ton of uh, a huge T cell colony that's right. not recognizing anything <laughs> at that given point. Right. 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 And so, I, I actually, with you know, with the CAR T cell treatments, the engineered T cells, mm -hmm. we pre-treat those patients with a uh, with a a treatment that actually um, kills a lot of their T cells. Yeah. So that you open up the niche so yeah. that you can en engraft the CAR T cells. Yeah. I think that's real. I think that's what's happening. It's a real estate thing. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. The, the air bar on, on one, I mean, there's definitely, is definitely statistically significantly different between day negative one and day 64. Yeah. I don't know if you could make the same claim with day 22, but that air bar is... Uh, that was that one's gonna be close. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's I mean it's a very very promising treatment. Um, and then figure figure four, figure four, which is our our last figure. Um, this is where they start investigating if you can use a PD one therapy in combination. Okay. They're actually starting to test this now, right? I'm just not, at this point, I'm not surprised that it's going to like work because this PD-1 is good with this tumor anyways. Yeah. And, and I think that's the hope all along, right? Is to try to find ways to increase uh, the T cell um, recognition. So how much better does it get with PD, uh, PD treatment combined versus without that? Is there a figure that shows that? Well, okay. So we can look at, so this this patient, see, uh, and, and I'm looking at D right. Yeah. Okay. So this patient, um, we have scans of them, you know, 113 days, 71 days, and 14 days before they start getting the vaccine. The treatment alone with the anti PD one antibody mm -hmm. looks like stable disease. Sure. You know, you, if anything, this one is. Progressing a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Day 84 after vaccination, the tumor in the right lung, upper low, is definitely uh, responding. You can see that thing yeah. much, much yeah. more. And this one is pretty close to a complete response. Yeah, what's the difference between up and down here? The, um, so this is a metastatic lesion in the upper lobe and this is a metastatic lesion in the middle. Got it, two different places, okay. Yeah, so, so what they're showing is that it's augmenting the already existing treatment. Yes. Um, which, is, which is very good because I mentioned earlier in this conversation, you know, we see a lot of, a lot of patients with melanoma that get complete responses to 
uh, PD-1 inhibitors or PD-1 and CTLA-4 inhibitors. But we have no idea who is going to respond. Right, right, right. Going into that treatment. Um, Okay, so this is it, man. This is it. It's, uh, this is promising. This works, looks like. I'm sold. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, what, what we're entering, you know, thanks. One of, the, one of the silver linings, I guess, if you can even say that with the pandemic, is that we're entering immune a, age. A new, a new age of vaccine technology. Dude, love it. And that's, that's going to be a big deal, um, especially since, you know, I, one of the things that I think too is like, eventually we're probably going to get like a, instead of just your standard flu vaccine, we're probably going to get an RNA based upper respiratory vaccine um, that also is against like the, the cold viruses and, and stuff like yeah. that. And, you know, we don't think of, of the cold as really a severe disease and it's really not. But it does cost billions of dollars to the United States every year. Yeah. And so if we can stop that billions of dollars of, you know, missed work and missed, missed GDP. Yeah, it, it's going to be a huge, huge, uh, you know, save to society. There's also a lot of uh, doctor's visits that are, you know, mostly unnecessary if, if the patient doesn't have you know, is not immunocompromised. For sure. You don't really have to see the patient for a cold. But there's a lot of visits that, you know, they come in and you diagnose them with a cold. Be like, okay, you just need to rest. Okay. So then um, to summarize the paper, basically the paper says that, hey guys, look, ladies and gentlemen, we have an RNA vaccine and we have a way to put this vaccine into a patient. And this RNA vaccine is going to have mRNA uh, for genes that is your gene, human gene, but these genes will be expressed more or selectively in cancer cells, but not in regular cells. So you can think of these genes like pathogen pattern. Yes, it's your pattern. It's not made by bacteria, viruses, all that stuff. It's not a mutated protein. It is your normal protein, but because it's only because they're only in the cancer cells, we can look at them like cancer-specific pattern. And we're going to have an mRNA that's going to code for these things, and we're going to deliver it to you. And your cells are going to translate these mRNA into the final protein, and your cells are going to uh, uh, initiate this uh, immune cell reaction, resulting in a population of immune cells, CD4 positive T cells, CD8 positive T cells that are really, really good at going after any cell that expresses those, uh, um, those things that mRNAs code. And right. the overall result is that what I just said does seem to happen and it looks like the patient cancers do get smaller. And if you combine this vaccination with PD therapy, um, then you get even better response. Right. Um, and, and so that, that's a, you know, a, a great application of, of, a, of a vaccine, something that we've, the um, cancer research community has been trying to work on for years is yeah. to try to vaccinate against cancer. And this, seem, this seems to be one of the, the first times that it's been 
pretty successful in patients. What if they studied this in pre-cancer? Like just give it to people. I have a feeling that this may also prevent cancer. That's, that's interesting. My fear would be is that you would get an immune system that surveils against these specific antigens. And for some reason, the early cancer stem cells aren't as de-differentiated yet. Oh, and they just, they just go down a lineage without it. But then by the time it does de-differentiate or ex start expressing those things, then they will be detected and... Um... Right, but aren't you just going to naturally select for a lineage that doesn't have those? Mm. And so now you're going to get a tumor that... That's a cold melanoma, basal cell, whatever, I mean... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So you right. get a you get a cold melt. It's I like, like that. <laughs> I like your idea. You're, that's a good. Idea. I just learned. That's good. Prevention can also result in it's like double edged sword, huh? Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, that that's always something that you gotta consider is if you're trying to if you're obviously when you when you treat cancer you're just it's a selection. Well, a lot of times I think of it as just, yeah, just natural selection on a very fast scale. <laughs> Love it. You, you are making an environment where these cells can't live. So the cells that can live are just going to expand. And now you're, you just have a really quick evolution. Yeah. Maybe the future is just about quick assaying, quick deployment of a new immune system. Like something that you might be right. If that's the case, then selection prevention can be another way of selection. Then maybe in the future, it's just going to be like, Personalized, but not against the immune system, but personalized against like, sorry, personalized not against mutations and all that stuff, but personalized against like the, 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 the functions, especially the antigen. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so one, one of the things too with the prevention, even if that, what I said occurs, if it occurs 20, 25 years later, that might be worth it too. For sure. You know, you, it might be worth to to buy those twenty five years of of disease free time with the treatment, even if you're even if you're making a, a cancer that's ultimately harder to treat. If you live longer, oh well, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that that's a that's another important thing in medicine is any time that we come up with a development that extends life, it just makes it more likely that you're going to die of cancer. Mm. By the way, now I have a question for this paper, which is how the hell did they like create, like, I know they give mRNAs, right? And then these mRNAs end up making those for antigen that, uh, that the cancer cells will express. But how is it possible that who's doing this translation? And like, e even if you do translate the number of T cells that like evades that negative selection mm -hmm. should be so little that you don't get a good immune response because any immune cells that has potential to respond to your own stuff, they are like taken care of by your selection, right? Like that's something I don't understand. Yeah. And, and that's, that's why it's, it's so um, difficult to do, but what, mm. one of the reasons why it does work is that these uh, MRNAs are specifically uh, um, expressed in dendritic cells. Ah. Uh, you know, they're professional antigen. Um, got it. They just play numbers game then. Yeah. And so since they're expressed in your professional antigen presenting cells, it just, the, uh, the immune response is that much stronger. 
Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. So basically, you're saying that it's very unlikely for your your own immune cells to have any reaction against your own stuff, even if it's rare stuff, including one of these four things. But here you are like sending this mRNA specifically to lots and lots of professional antigen presenting cells whose sole purpose is to like talk to immune cells. And your hope is that by doing that a lot, um, because professional uh, active, uh, antigen presenting cells are so close to immune cells, you might get a lucky activation. Right, right. And the, the other thing too that they, they, they do is they um, chemically modify the RNA molecules so they're more stable. Mm. And so they express for longer. You know, you're, if you just use normal RNA, you get a huge immune response to that RNA Got it. and a very short-lived expression of the specific um, antigen. Well, now, now what is actually hypothesized is they basically they altered the chemistry of the RNA. Mm -hmm. Your immune system doesn't recognize it as well, but it still recognizes. So you get a you get a pretty big inflammatory reaction that's non-specific, and they think that that augments the immune reaction. Makes entirely sense. because you're in a in a inflammatory, inflammatory state. state yeah yeah yeah. makes sense makes sense makes sense this is this is great man this is this is awesome um i, I like this paper you know what i want to do i think i'm going to end up doing this um we're, we're gonna look at all the cancer like maybe cell line or tcj ccle tcj dip map whatever for each cancer type we will find expressed molecules in that cancer type or things that express more in that cancer type versus its normal control or whatever, or even whatever, just highly expressed stuff. And then we're going to filter out the highly expressed things that are found in um, uh, normal tissues. Because just by doing that simple analysis, you could probably create this kind of list of cocktail potential genes per cancer type. And we can create a nice table. You can imagine like, oh, esophageal squamous carcinoma, these four, you know, these seven things are expressed high that are probably safe to make vaccine against. And then you just put it on a website. You put like money tag on it. Like whoever comes up with a cocktail, you just pay them like $2 million and let them like race for cocktails. And then what? Yeah, so uh, another, another approach you could do is, um, I know Steve Rosenberg's lab mm -hmm. at the NCI does... Um, RNA seq on tumor samples, mm -hmm. and so that data will will allow them to predict neoantigens for sure from the, the sequence data. But they're also they use RNA seq and not DNA seq because RNA seq also tells them that that specific neoantigen is expressed. And Got then it. and then you do some uh, bioinformatics on it and you predict what the neoantigen is. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you could use that in combination with the HLA type of the patient, you could potentially make an RNA vaccine specific to that patient. For sure. Well. So it doesn't have to be, uh, so it doesn't have to be one of these um, tumor associated antigens. Obviously one of the big advantages of the tumor associated antigens is that they're basically off the shelf. Yeah, vaccine. yeah. Another um, thing that I worry about is you have to inject a lot. This is too many injections. I don't. I've never seen vaccine that you have to use this frequently. It's not even uh, vaccine. Have you have you ever had uh, seen anyone get um, 
Rabies? No, I'm saying allergy shot. Oh, no, I've never. I, I, my, one of my good friends has to get that every month. I get, I get allergy shots. So far this year, I've had 90 shots. Whoa. But those yeah. are what? But that's not vaccine. Though. That's like immune suppressive, no? How does it work? No, it's, it's, it's the antigen. Wow. It's pure, oh, I see. It's purified, it's purified antigen of what you're allergic to. And so, you know, it's 96 shots, and then my arm swells up to like twice its size each time. But what's the concept to life? Isn't that, a, isn't that opposite of what this paper is trying to do? Yes. Yeah. So, but I'm, I was just saying from the standpoint of injection, injections, it's not, you know, you can handle that many injections. I cannot handle that many injections, my friend. Okay. You may not, but people can. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so far this year, I've, you know, I go in each time it gets a little bit less, but I've been getting three shots, at least three shots sorry, a week man. Since, since June. So are those like, uh, flu shot painful or tetanus shot painful like you know how the vaccines have different pain they're it's really weird it's very they're very different than um they're also day to day um wow. and, and so one time i can go in and i will not feel it at all and the next time i'll go in and it will be horrible for, for oh my numbers. goodness um yeah. but the the other thing that that since it is a you know and essentially something you're allergic to i kind of make it when you actually get the injection, it kind of feels like getting stung by a bee. Ew. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then after that, it feels like you have like a massive mosquito bite or something you know, for, for a day. And then it goes away. I'm sorry, man. This sounds uh, stressful. You know, it, it, I mean, it, it is, but it's a lot better than being allergic mm. to things. And I've already had the, the results from it and I no longer have had i've had no um no sort of asthma since i mean that's crazy because you give antigen and you, your immune cells are supposed to react to that you get better at reacting to that so, you should, so i would imagine you have higher more severe reactions after that because you're training your cells to react to that right but part of training is is uh, immunoglobulin class switching right uh... And so when you go from IgM to IgG, you don't get mast cell degranulation by IgM anymore. Gotcha. So you're basically facilitating the chronic chronicization of... of yeah, well, so you, I mean, you're actually getting a stronger immune reaction against yeah. the antigen, but it, it just doesn't affect you much. But if you've been exposed to that antigen for like years and years, I would imagine you'd have almost no IgM at that point. I think it's because you're getting such minor exposure that you don't. Makes sense. You're getting such small exposure of, of a pretty strong immune, immune reaction against like, you know, something that you're getting exposed to parts per million in the air. You know, like gotcha. how, how, when you breathe in pet dander or something, you know, it, it, it's got to be, you know, parts per million, parts yeah. per billion. Wait, then why don't you just get the vaccine shot once in a high amount, like just crazy amount of like? Because you you have to do escalating doses. Because if you go straight to the highest dose, uh, there's a high risk of anaphylactic shock. Oh, so are you are you been getting more and more since the day one you started? Yeah. So they they start off with a one to one hundred dilution 
of the final thing. And you go like, you get six doses of that. And then they do go to the one to 10 dilution, you get like a dozen doses of that. And then, oh, I'm sorry, there's a one to 1,000, one to 100, a one to 10. Mm. And then you have the full strength stuff. In the full strength, there's a series of 14 shots. And when you finish that, what happens? You're done? No, then, then so right now I'm on every two weeks. Uh, then I'll go to every three weeks after I get four of them at every two weeks. Got it. And then I'll go to every four weeks, uh, basically until I start residency, so 2025. And then you're done. And then I'm done. So there is an end. There is a done end. It's possible that you know some people will have lasting remission of their allergies after yeah. after about five six years. Yeah. Um, some people will have recurrence and they'll need to continue getting their allergy shots. Makes sense. So the end goal, I guess, in this case is having strong, robust reaction that's specific to this problem. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can coexist with, with, uh, cats and dogs, I will be happy. You don't need them. <laughs> I had a bow. They're, 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 they they seem good, but it's like grass on the other side phenomena where you see people happy with it, but a lot yeah. of time wasted like hanging out with them i mean it's not wasted but you know it's a responsibility like you have to take really really good care of your your uh, yeah family. before before i did shots um you know i would have an asthma attack within four hours of being <laughs> one so okay yeah. then so you want you want to go to residency is that do you, you are you a science route or a doctor route uh, I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna go to a residency. I want to uh, do my residency in pathology. Um, I love pathology. And uh, I'm probably gonna do a fellowship in uh, molecular pathology. pathology. Nice. And possibly a second one in uh, clinical informatics. That's really cool. And then I want to use that, um, both to set up like. Uh, more automated diagnostics for institutions. Let's do it. No, no, no. Let's no. You have to do a startup. We have to do like, we have to start a company later. I'll that, find that, you the targets. There's definitely a potential for that that kind of career path. Well, um, but I do want to. My my goal right now is uh, probably about ten percent to twenty percent clinical duties, mm -hmm. uh, with the remaining to be research duties. So a half to a full day of clinical a week. That's really specific goal. And I think that's a great goal. If you can do that, that's, that's a nice like journey. Yeah. So, and the, the reason why I did that, um, my undergraduate mentor mm -hmm. is a physician scientist uh, and he got to the point where he had 20% clinical duty. Mm. And it seemed like the perfect balance where you, you're not too rusty yeah. on your clinical stuff, but you have enough time to invest in your research for sure for sure because if you, you start getting if you get like 50 50 appointments um it's tough it's uh, you don't have time right 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 by the way speaking of this i think one day we should have a panel like you me and you know div and we just put a bunch of you and what we do is we talk about like different ways of going about like you have people who want to go full clinical and they'll pitch why that's better and you have people who like to do what you're doing. You might have people who want to not do any of them, go to like a patent, you know, go to investment or venture capital. Like I, I mean, there are many routes, right? And I think yeah. that 
there should be like a place where you can like explore all the potentials. Like you can see axis, X axis is money. Y axis is your time. Maybe Z axis is some other things. And then we just put together different, like good, you know, end goal of this, this career path. Right. So that, that's actually, you know, an interesting thing. Um, last year I was on the, um, MD PhD, uh, retreat committee yeah. for KU. Yeah. So we planned it and I tried to get them to bring in a venture capitalist to oh. talk, talk about opportunities that are not traditional right, in the right. PhD field. Right. And they, the program was like, that's a great idea. Uh-huh. We're afraid the NIH might be frowned upon it. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, we're not, we're not training clinical physicians because ultimately. Now we, we, we can do it ourselves. That's an important aspect of the MD PhD grant recipient. So it's how many people actually uh, <laughs> are ending up in what they call, you know, careers related MD PhD. Yeah. But like, look, like, but the, the, there are so many routes, right? You can not, not just clinical versus uh, science, you know, if you don't want to die, you can also start your own hospital. You can do like a bunch of like um, uh, consultation work in different ways in governments. Like there's so many routes and I know a lot of people who do lots of different things with this degree. Well, look at like uh, Anthony Fauci. I, mean, I know he's not an MD PhD, but he's a, he's definitely a physician scientist, Yeah. but he's also dabbling now in the um, policy world. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that he's obviously uh a really big deal in medical training. I guess so. I'm sure you've read some of Harrison's already. Mm-mm, I haven't. Harrison's Internal Medicine? I don't read books. Okay. Well, that's, um, he's one of the authors on it. It's like a 4,000 page textbook on it. There's no way. There's no you way. Don't, <laughs> you don't read the whole thing, but, but every once in a while, we had to have professors, you know, they'd be like, if you want more information about this topic, you can read this chapter. Yeah, hell no. <laughs> a, a lot of times it's better than what the professor dude th- that happens so many times I- my conclusion is that these professors either don't know what they're talking about or they really don't care about like those things they're talking about because you, you when you see a good like lecture or people who give a good talk they know their stuff so well that things become simple or they actually want to like express that inf- information yeah I- and I don't know if you have the same problem we have, um, but a lot of times, so we don't have a, a lot of our, our lectures are not from MD PhDs. They're from MDs or PhDs. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the MDs just don't have the knowledge still of the basic science to teach the first two years of medical school. Mm-hmm. And the PhDs have so much of the basic knowledge, but none of the clinical insight I see. To, make it, to make it relevant. Well, so well. Yeah. Very rare that you have the right combination of expertise. So I agree that that happens sometimes. But for us, what we do is we have a like, a, for example, for pulmonary, for block, for think about a block, right? Yeah. We will have an expert about that system. And that person is going to be a director of that block, one or two you know, people. And then they also give lectures. But suppose, let's say endocrine block has 20 lectures, right? Almost every lecture is taught by a different person in that block. Yep. Is that how you do it too? 
Yeah, we have the exact same. Okay, and, and then the lectures done by the course directors and the, the, the professor who teach it. So like you, you, you'll have like multiple input throughout that, that class. So- And then you have to figure out who wrote the question on the test. Exactly. To figure out, to exactly. Figure out. So it's yeah. good in that way, but the challenging part is um, the consistency, I guess, is a little bit challenging for lecture to lecture. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm just stupid. It's just like so much to learn. Um, it's, a, it's a lot to learn. And um, I know that. So one of the challenges, you're still before step one. Yeah, I'm still before. I'm taking it in six months, hopefully. Okay. Um, one of the challenges for your blocks is that at least for us, we had professor written questions, mm. not an NBME. Got it. And so a lot of the challenges were the, with that was that it would either wouldn't be consistent with um, other lectures that we got yeah. or, or um, you know, they would be asking more clinically relevant questions of what you're, what you're kind of expected to know for step one or... Uh, yeah, there was just a lot of challenges around that. And then, but once you get to actually NBME, those questions are so, um, they're so tested and like they have such a huge database on how they perform that they're all fair. You're not going to have a, um, an answer choice that doesn't make sense or an answer, an answer choice that is, you know, a lot of times we had answer choices that were like, well, yeah, it would this lab test would be positive, but you would never order it for that disease because yeah. it doesn't make sense. And that would be a wrong answer, but it's clear same, thought you're saying. At the same time as a basic yeah. science question. So it's not like <laughs> do you do you do you think that like step one is hard for you? So my yes. strategy okay. <laughs> Did you, so like, did you have to study extra for that to pass step one? Yes. I mean, passing, not getting good score, just passing. Uh, no, I, I, I definitely, when I went into my dedicated, I was not passing practice exams yet. Oh my goodness. Um, and so, but then it, it gets to a point where, where you keep on doing practice questions, practice questions over and over and over again. And there's so many there's so many things that they can actually test you on. I see. So basically, eventually, yeah. eventually you get a pattern recognition of what's going on. Yeah. And it, a lot of the questions just become second nature. Yeah. It's okay. I'm just gonna bite the bullet, get it out of the way. Hopefully after that is you know more chill. Yeah. Do you know if you're gonna be the cohort that does this pass fail? Well, well, we could do pass fail, but I I don't want to do pass fail. I just want to go with the score and get it out of the way. I, oh, I just, you, you get the choice yeah we have a choice we can take it next year or this year oh so if, if you take it next year it would be pass fail if you take it this year it's not yeah okay yeah the, i i mean if you if you think you're gonna do good going into it get no, no, i'm not gonna do good i'm just gonna pass like i can pass come on like passing shouldn't be hard right yeah that uh it you know it, de it really depends on what you want to do too if you want to be a surgeon you should probably aim for a high score hell no go. If you don't want to be a surgeon, just pass. Hell no. And you're you're an MD PhD and you're at an elite institution, you'll be fine. Well, yeah. I want to start my hospital. That's my that's my um, wild dream. 
revolutionize payment mechanisms too? No, I want to start a hospital and uh, it's going to be you know, simple uh, electric car, Tesla running through the city, the hospital that comes to your house can do so much that you don't have to go anywhere. Monthly subscription fees and we just show up, take care of your business. If not, take you to a nearby center and uh, that's it. Build good connections with your neighborhood, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that that'd be interesting. That'd be uh, that'd be useful right now. And then we'll have a lab run by Ben, pathologist. Yeah. Looking at the blood and molecular diagnostics. But that I was gonna say that'd be extremely useful right now because you could isolate patients. Um, For sure. Away from you know you have the COVID patients. Yeah. At the hospitals and then everything else that would be non-surgical could be handled remotely. That'd yeah. Be, that would be ideal. Because that, sure. that's a big fear right now with COVID is just going into the emergency room yeah. is inherently dangerous. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you think about why you need a hospital, right? Because they got stuff on people. If you can bring the stuff on people to you, you know, um, you just right. have different vans. Like you have a van optimized for cardiac. You have a van maybe for surgery. You know, you have a van, you know, is optimized Mo for stuff. Most, most of the time, actually, you know, hospitalization, you know, my mom was a, a nurse. Yeah. And she would always say that, you know, hospitalization was for the nursing staff, which I actually agree. You, um, the doctors only see you a couple times a day when they round, right? Yeah. You can the nurses, of... the nurses are doing all the, all the, the minute to minute stuff. Yeah. And also like, think about like distributed system that's getting popular in programming world and everything. You can have a distributed hospital, like your bedroom is your hospital. Like we'll have a hospital. Let's imagine you go to like a really wealthy, I don't know, place, not many people, small town, but still wealthy, like Sound Valley, Jackson Hole, whatever. And you just say, you know, you have a nice house, like million dollar, a couple million dollar worth of house. You like your bedroom, you like your house, just, you know, live there. What we do is we make your house into a, a hospital. Our hospital is this zip code. We'll have a doctor that'll round with a car, <laughs> maybe a SpaceX flying or Tesla van. That's not there yet, but we'll take care of you. And the uh, hospital is your house. You know, we'll bring a technology in mind to you. And we can also do telehealth. And in the future, there'll be virtual things where it's like, the, right. you know, um, Star Wars, you know, the, the, the thing shows up and you can see like 3D people moving in front of you and all that stuff. So, I think that's where the future is going, but I think it's going to take time, especially it's in health medicine because people don't like change. I think a lot in this field, unfortunately, it's just slow to adapt it's lots slow. of new technology. It is very, it's very slow. Um, that is something that we've seen with COVID too, is that it's accelerated the acceptance of telehealth. Yeah. Um, one of, one of our challenges in the state of Kansas is, so Kansas is obviously a very rural state. Right. So a big, a big goal of, the university is to train rural physicians that stay in state. Well, I'll go, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come and anytime. It's an incredibly challenging um, thing to, to provide good healthcare to the people of Western Kansas. Now, once you, know you get, once yeah. you get to, uh, west of, um, of Wichita, yeah. there's basically nothing until you get to Denver. Damn. And so uh, it's really difficult. It's and, desert. 
Yeah, and even um, telehealth is difficult because the infrastructure yeah. is so poor that most of those communities don't have internet. That's so Ben, let's solve it. Let's solve it, Ben. We can do it. I think it's let's, easy to do. Just do this. Like every, everyone who comes, give them like 100 acres of land and they get to acquire two acres at a time. You know, that's 50 years. <laughs> and then at the end, just, you know, give them a license to build whatever they want, tax-free, 100 acres of land and some like, you know, attract these people. Because yeah, it's, it, it's marketing, you know? In addition to that, we're having problems in the state of Kansas and Missouri with uh, neither state has expanded Medicaid yet. Missouri Missouri just voted um, on it recently. Uh, we, the politicians wouldn't do it, so we had to do a, um, we had to vote on it um, yeah. in the election and, and we actually voted in August and it passed. And so it's going to expand in June, but one of the big problems with that is um, rural hospitals rely a lot on Medicaid reimbursement. That's right. Because their clientele tends to be um, less wealthy and self-employed, mm-hmm. like farmers and stuff like that. And self-employed people obviously don't have the benefit of having employee-based insurance policies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And insurance, you know, employee-based uh, insurance policies is where the bulk of the income where hospitals come, yep. comes from. And so a lot of our rural hospitals in both Missouri and Kansas are starting to close because of um, failure, man. revenue deficits. It's like, it's, I just think it's dumb to have like a national law that, that you know, law's law, but like New York's so much different from like where you live, you know? Like all right. these well, places. well, think of think of New York right now. You can get a COVID test if you, you know, cough once right now. You, <laughs> you know, it, it's really easy. I have, I have a friend that works in New York that it's a yeah a production assistant for um, television shows, yeah. and I think he said he's been tested for COVID like fifteen times so far, just because they they do it yeah um, you know like weekly and and they have the in in New York they have so many tests available yeah uh, where in other states especially you know for me in the midwest it's still a huge challenge for us to to meet the demand especially with the current spike for sure you know we had a in um the county in wyandotte county where university of kansas medical center is this last week was a 35 percent positivity rate wow which is both a sign of a lot of um lot of positive tests and also just not having the capacity because yeah you know if that if we should be testing a lot more people as that high of a infection rate well one day ben <laughs> we will solve problems like these hopefully yeah. but mm, yeah by the way thank you so much for the paper going over yeah no problem and if if you know, if you ever want to discuss another paper or something like that, I'm, I'm available. We should. In fact, if you do journal review of anything, just send me a paper. I'll read it. If it's fun, if you have time, we'll just schedule something. And next time yeah. we do like less screen. So we probably see less so that we can't be in the same shoes as our audience who's just listening. Yep. But uh, I think we're just going to get so much good at this because I think it's missing. What's missing in the, the current like landscape is something that connects these like, okay. This is this RNA vaccine is like dope, right? Like it's just no, what, this is like, like a legit paper to be yeah, this, is, this is like no like crap. You know how there are lots of crap nature papers. This is not one of those. This is like real deal. 
And yeah. I think every media should be talking about this, but they're not, right? So well, it's, I think it has to do a lot with the pandemic. Sure, sure, sure. But but you get the point. Like this is uh, an advancement, and we need to tell the world this advancement in a chill way, uh, if we can. <laughs> well, how how many times do you read, um, like you know, like the New York Times or something like that, that writes an article on a Hype press release, on a press release from the university, not even the paper itself, but a press release. They hype it up like they cured cancer, and then you read the original paper, and you're like, oh, this is your normal. Yeah, garbage. Like. like you know, it's the incremental, Yeah. you know, you're chipping away at it. Like it, it contributes to our collective knowledge, but it's not going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be like paradigm shifting. Or anything. Yeah. 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 And it also like adds lots of like noise in the signal. People will trust this kind of media less and people trust science less because of all that stuff. So if we see good stuff, we should probably like use what we can maybe through podcasts or social media, whatever to like, Communicate that to the lay public. I think like Bill Nye and uh, a lot of people in physics, right? They do a really good job at this kind of stuff. But cancer, I don't know who's doing it or in just molecular biology in general. I'm not sure if there's... Well, you you can see right now with COVID that it's horrible. Yeah, it's exactly. So... You know, the, half the country doesn't think it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, anyways, Ben, it was my pleasure having you here and hope you have a good rest of the evening. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, buddy. See you later. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and then the paper with uh, Ben. And if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to this podcast and let your friends, colleagues, lab mates, and everybody else know about the podcast so that... Um, we can keep improving the podcast, the content, and share this kind of information with more and more people. Anyways, have a good rest of your day, week, and holiday season. I will see you in the next podcast. Peace.